everybody, it's Sue Bidstrup. Welcome to the Great Big Yes podcast, where I speak to people who are saying a great big yes to a greater calling on their lives, people who are living with passion and purpose and making a difference in this world. On this podcast, I talked to Brooke Crowder. She is the founder of The Refuge here in Austin. It's actually going to be in Bastrop, and it is a therapeutic ranch for survivors of sex trafficking, domestic minors. So these are American girls ages 11 to 17. This is a heavy topic. It's um, something I really feel called to talk about and learn about, and hopefully um, there's just going to be a big rising up of people all around America to fight this, because it is happening here in our own backyard, believe it or not. But Brooke has um, really just answered the call in a big way. And so I'm excited for you to hear her story. I'm excited for you to hear more about the refuge and just more about um, when God calls you, kind of what that feels like. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that it's easy or that there's no fear around it, but just that we trust him in the process. And so um, here's Brooke. I hope you enjoy. All of the notes and information will be on the website. Hi, Brooke. How are you? Hi, Sue. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So for those of you listening, Brooke Crowder um, is the, what do you, what's your official title, title at The Refuge? Are you the creator or founder? Founder. founder. Yes, founder and executive director. Okay, awesome. She's the founder and executive director of The Refuge. And uh, many of you have seen my posts about that or heard me um, talk about The Refuge. And so I'm super excited to have Brooke here. And I would just love for you, Brooke, to explain what is The Refuge. All right. Um, The Refuge is a long-term therapeutic ranch for girls who are survivors of sex trafficking. And we are building The Refuge currently on uh, 50 donated acres outside of Austin, Texas, And the idea is that when a child is identified as a trafficking victim, um, they have a place that is healthy and um, peaceful and restful to come and get all the services that they need to help them rebuild their life uh, from that trauma, sex trafficking, will all be on the site, will all be at the refuge, which is, is really important when you're talking about trying to access services that are so complex and so um, comprehensive for a survivor, having them all at the refuge is going to be, um, we hope, very impactful for the child survivor. Yes, and what I love about that is you've thought of everything, right? You've got like the school and the clinic and like equine therapy and art therapy and just kind of like all the facets of um, therapy that they would need or want to access, it's all there. So they never really need to leave the grounds, right? Right. Yeah, it really is all there. And it's in, you know, if you think about it, think about your own child, if you're a mother or if you're an aunt and you have a niece, you know, children, um, need every part of their life to be in a healthy place. And a child survivor of trafficking has had, um, the most severe trauma to their heart, their mind, their body, and their soul. And so by providing holistic services all on site, um, we, we are giving that child every opportunity to address 
holistically the trauma that has affected them so. And, and so, yeah, I mean, school, all children need to be in school and learning and growing and hopefully preparing for a future. And so we're providing school. Um, they also need great medical care. And so that will be on site. And then, as you mentioned, the different therapies that are really relational entry points for us to communicate love to them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And when you say child, um, just I know the ages of people that are going to be at the refuge, but if you could just explain to people that are listening, um, this is for um, Americans, so domestic minors. Um, so Correct. What, what age does that entail? Well, we will target girls ages 11 to 17. And when I say target, I mean those are the, the, the general ages that we will have girls living at the refuge. Now, we might get a call about a 10-year-old girl. We would take her if it was appropriate fit at the refuge. And we also are going to be licensed in such a way that we will be able to keep an 18-year-old. Let's say a girl comes to us when she's 17 and she's still part of her healing process is taking place and she turns 18. She'll be able to stay at the refuge. Okay. Um, so that, but, but we generally say 11 to 17. Okay. I heard a very disturbing statistic the other day that um, is 14 the average age of a victim of sex trafficking. Is that right? Actually, it's younger, okay. unfortunately. It's, it's actually 12 to 13. Okay. What, what, what we're seeing right now in, in our community here in Austin, Texas, is that the average age that we are um, identifying victims is, is age 14. Wow. This is... Um... As you know, so for those of you listening, I met Brooke a couple years ago because I saw um, our, ch our church was supporting the refuge and they had a video of a woman whose name was also Brooke, um, who was a survivor of sex trafficking and she spoke and I just, it was like I could feel my heart breaking. Like it was just so, and I felt also that feeling in my heart where your heart beats really fast and, and you know it's the Holy Spirit just telling you, like, do something or listen. Listen was the first thing. And then you, Brooke, and I met, and you had given me some ideas for some books. And I just want to ask again, like, is there something, like, if someone's listening to this and they're feeling that heartbeat and they're feeling their heart breaking and they want to learn more, where would they start to learn more? Because I think a lot of people believe that sex trafficking happens in other countries, but it's really hard for them to wrap their head around it's happening in their city. Right. It's true. That is a huge misconception we still have in our country that this is not going on in our cities, in our states, in our country, but it is. It's actually going on in very alarming numbers in the United States, um, probably more so percentage-wise per capita than any other country in the United, in the world. Wow. And so, um, and these are our children. These are not children that are brought from other countries. These are children that um, are born and raised in the United States. And so it really is incumbent on those of us who live here in the United States to understand the, the issue. It's not an easy issue to, to, to talk about. It's not an easy issue to learn about because it's dark and frankly, it is evil. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, um, but we really cannot stick our head in the sand anymore about this because it is happening in such alarming numbers. And frankly, every child is a potential victim um, because 
traffickers are not looking for um, particular children of a particular socioeconomic background or particular area of a community. They are looking for any vulnerable child. And frankly, any child that's 12 or 13 is vulnerable. Yeah. They are unaware of being able to see when they're getting trapped into a trafficker snare. And it happens so subtly sometimes and, and so devastatingly. And, um, and so it, it really is important to be educated. There are many ways. There are some really good books. Um, maybe just one of the best ones to begin with, I often recommend, is a book titled Renting Lacey. Yes. And it's a, it's a quick read. It's not a long book. And it's written by Linda Smith, who um, I know. And uh, the organization that she founded is doing fantastic work in the United States around this issue. Um, there's a couple other books. But one of the things that I do like to warn people is that there's one thing about knowing that this is going on and equipping our children to not be victims of this. Yeah. There's another thing to read stories that are very personal and get into the details of what ha- what's happening. And for some people reading those stories, it, it's really devastating and can stick with you for your whole life because it is, frankly, it's, it's evil. It's heavy. It's men. It's heavy, heavy. Yes. And so I, I don't always recommend people read some of those books because they might really not be ready to 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 hear that part yeah and so um you know i would say everyone you know prayerfully consider what exactly to what level you do become educated but i i would really highly recommend that people do get educated to a level that they can you know they can equip the children in their sphere to to not become victims yes i love that no that's true and I love that you said prayerfully consider, because you're right. When I started reading, um, I did read Rent- Renting Lacey, and I think I told you this, but I felt so, um, yeah, it was heavy. It was depressing. It was scary. Um, there were things about it. And I remember my husband saying to me, like, are you sure? You know, kind of like, are you sure you want to go down that path? And not that he doesn't want me to be mm-hmm. educated, but that it is very heavy and that and just to prayerfully consider it. And, and here's the thing, though, as Christians, right? Like we we can't do everything, but we can do something, right? And and it's bringing right. the light into the darkness. So I want to kind of uh, talk to you about that as well. Like you're, um, because this is a Christian, the Refuge is a Christian organization, right? Like um, you talk about right. Jesus there. Is there a church there? Yes, we actually are building a chapel on the property. It's actually... Um, designed to be the center symbolically on the entire property. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. So how, as, as far as your personal story, like how did you get involved in this kind of work? Well, I, from a young age actually, um, have had this sense of wanting to do something for children who are abused or particularly marginalized and hurting. And um, so when I was um, a mother myself, and actually I was serving on a church staff as the director of women's ministries, I took a team of women from our church to Guatemala. Mm. 
And um, it was there that I first encountered children that were suffering um, in extreme ways, many of whom were on the streets, uh, many were in orphanages due to the Civil War, and lots of them had stories of trafficking. And I, it rocked my world. I had been a Christian most of my life. I'd been in ministry my entire adult life. And I had a very hard reconciling that to my faith and how I lived out my faith. And so I really spent um, a good amount of time praying what, about what I saw. And I knew from that experience that uh, my life was going to be on a new trajectory. I just did not know what that would look like, but I knew it had to be somehow responding to hurting children. Um the ne- the following year actually um, was the year that God led us to go to seminary, and I was studying to get a master's in intercultural studies and world mission. And as um, my freshman year in seminary, a or my first year in seminary, um, there was a presentation by International Justice Mission yeah. who showed a video of little girls being rescued out of a brothel in India. And um, and these little girls were held in a hole during the day and brought up at night to be sold in the brothel under which they lived. And these were little girls that were, you know, five, six, and seven years old. And at the time, my daughter was six years old. And the video ended and the chapel cleared out and I could not stand up and leave and I could not stop weeping Mm. and I sat in the chapel weeping sobbing for over an hour and my advisor found me and um, basically he said you know Brooke look around there's no one here that is weeping like this clearly this is the calling on your life yeah and and I knew that was true. You know how when someone just tells you something that goes to the very core of your being and you just know that's truth spoken. Yeah. And But I had no idea what that would look like. And I spent the rest of my time in seminary researching child sex trafficking. But at that time, this was in 2003 to 2006, there was really not a lot of information. And what was out there was really about this going on in other countries around the world. And um, so upon graduation, um, our family ended up moving to Central America to um, first go to language school in Costa Rica, and then we were going to go work with orphan children in Honduras. And um, But while I was in Costa Rica, I began hearing that Costa Rica was one of the top spots in the Western Hemisphere for child trafficking. And, um, and so as I did that work to find out if that was really true. And by doing that, I just asked, I asked people at the street level, I asked, um, taxi drivers and pastors and, and, um, ended up getting hooked up with, um, a former gang member who was running a street ministry and feeding children in the slums. And, I asked him if I could work with him and see what was really happening at the street level. And um, he he did. He took me into the darkest places in Costa Rica, and I was able to see with my own eyes that, you know, there was just a real um, uh, 
very exploitive network yes. going on of the most vulnerable children. And that's when I just knew that um, uh, God had placed me there for a purpose and I was going to work there with those girls and um, and that that was the beginning of my journey for really you know, starting the refuge back in the United States. But that's that's a whole other yeah. part of the story. <laughs> well, what I love is, and I don't want to gloss over this, a couple times you have said, you know, I wasn't sure what that meant or I wasn't sure what that was going to look like, but I knew that God was calling me. And that's really the reason why I love doing these podcasts is speaking to people who've said yes to a greater calling in their lives. But I'm sure during that time, and I, this is how I want to encourage people too, because we don't always know what it's going to look like, right? Like we don't always know right. where God is leading us, but we hear his voice, we feel it, we know it. So there's this greater knowing of being called and then that greater trusting because to tell you the truth, okay, so you said, first of all, one, I want to touch on, you took your family. So your entire family went to Costa Rica. Is that right? So you, your kids and everything? Correct. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And yeah. so did you commit to like a year or two years or was it kind of open-ended or what did that look like? Well, we committed to four years. Um, we went as missionaries and we went with an organization that we had committed four years to. And so um, it was under the umbrella of a mission sending agency. However, they were not doing work around the issue of child sex trafficking. So when I found out about wow. that, you know, basically they let me do that work um, with the local organization there in Costa Rica. It was not a project of theirs. Okay, so what I love about that is, like, were you just born, like, super brave? <laughs> because uh, it just seems like yeah. you, no, right? Like, right. I know God gives us courage, but, like, you were brave, right? Like, you said yes to this trip, but then not only, like, it's almost like you created your own mission trip. And, you know, speaking about, like, the former gang member and, like, going with him, like, that's pretty amazing did you feel brave all the time or were you scared? <laughs> no, I was scared all the time and yeah. I never felt brave at all. I think, I think, you know, going back to what you're, you're talking about is how we don't always know. I think I've rarely known, frankly, I think the only thing I do know is that God is a good God. And yeah. even in the darkest of days when the, bad things have happened to me or those that I love, even in the midst of being obedient to God, I still know that God is who he says he is and God is good. Yeah. And, and so I don't think it's really actually the way I've, I've learned to look at it, Sue, is that when he has us doing things that we don't know what we're doing necessarily, and we're saying yes to not even necessarily what we're saying yes to. We're saying yes to him. Yes. He's giving us the opportunity to partake in what we call faith. Yep. And totally. that is one of the greatest blessings that we can have while on earth is to be in an ever-increasing journey of faith with a living God. And that is the joy, even when we just don't 
don't know, but I yes. can bottom line say I never felt brave. I always felt afraid. Yes. Well, <laughs> no, but thank you for saying that because I think I talked to a lot of people who feel like they feel like maybe God's calling him to something or maybe they want to do this, but they don't, you know, they don't know. And, and I love in the Bible how it says, you know, in our weakness, he is strong, right? So, and I also right. love, and I feel like I bring up every podcast, but where it says, not by my own brute strength, but by your glorious inner strength. And I love that mm. because I think as Americans and women in our generation, we're raised to feel like we have to do things on our own, like kind of prove ourselves and be brave and, you know, all of these kind of self-efficacy um, things, which are great and important. But when you're talking about calling, it's usually you're being invited into something that's bigger than you that you can't do on your own and you need God for it. And that's right, different, exactly. right? So that's like a different yeah. kind of thing. And so it's almost like, well, we'll know we're called when we know that for sure we are not capable of pulling this up. Like God has got to come through <laughs> or it's not going to happen, right? Because that's where right, the trust comes exactly. in. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and and at the end of the day, that is the um, it is such a blessing to be able to be in that place. It doesn't feel like a blessing sometimes. And, um, but it sometimes in the midst of it, you do think of it as a blessing, but certainly as you look back over how God has worked in your life, you can see what a blessing that, um, I got to, to be a part of something that only God could do. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. I love that. And, um, so as far as, um, What's happening now? I think just a couple of days ago, you guys broke ground, right? At the refuge, like it's happening. It's being built right now. <laughs> right? right. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's happening. It's being built. Um, it's taken three years to get here. Um, you know, we, um, I, and that really, I have to reiterate, the whole story of how the refuge came about is, is one big God story and of, people foolish enough to say yes all along the way. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, I love that. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, yes, we, we, we broke ground and, and we're just um, trusting God to continue to provide what we need when we need it so that we can get it built. Because people, when you say people are saying yes along the way, like the land was donated, I think you said, right? Like someone just had the land and that happened. Yeah. 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 So kind of the background story on that is um, that I when I moved back to the States in 2010, um, I, I began asking around Austin where I had never lived before, you know, who's doing what for child sex trafficking survivors in the United States? Because I thought for sure by then um, our country had woken up to this issue and that we were doing something about it. And especially because we have all the resources we need in the United States to be able to help child victims. But I was very surprised to find that there was really nothing going on, no coordinated effort, no real services. And, and um, you know, the response I kept getting from people is that, you know, it's just too complicated. It's just too hard. These are throwaway children oh, or, gosh. you know, um, just different organizations not wanting to take on that part of, of their mission. And, um, and then people began to say to me, you know, Brooke, why don't, why don't you do this? 
and um and 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 you know I, some of my personal journey through that time was um I was going through um some very hard difficult things on a personal level and did not feel that I could take on starting a new nonprofit but um I I I got a call from a man who said that he had heard I was trying to help child trafficking victims and that he would like to meet. And so we ended up meeting for coffee. And at the end of um, that two-hour meeting, he asked if I'd like to have 50 acres to uh, build this dream for child trafficking survivors. And that was exactly um, three years ago. And I knew at that point that God was going to build the refuge. And all I had to do was, was say yes yeah. to um, signing on to help build this and and carry out his his purpose. And um, it's really been one miracle after another. And um, and so that's... I love that's, that story. Um, oh my gosh. And I love just... I would love to be someone who had 50 acres I had available to donate, <laughs> right? Like how great. <laughs> like that is such right. a great thing to be able to do. God bless him. And... Um, but just for you to hear that as well, just that affirmation from the Lord, like we're moving forward, Brooke. Like I'm inviting you into this. It's happening. That's right. So exactly. Beautiful. Yes. And and frankly, um, I was not in a place um, financially or even really where I felt like even emotionally I could say yes to doing something like this. It made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And. So God had to do something really huge to get my attention. Yeah. So having someone offer, uh, you know, almost a perfect stranger offer 50 acres to build this dream. I, I, I couldn't imagine something more huge than that. So, um, isn't it so it great? Was a, like, I think yeah. we forget how big God is, right? How expansive and how able he is. And, and, I think when we start to kind of, even when we feel, at least for me personally, when I feel something that I feel he's calling me into, in my mind, I put limits on him. Right. And he just Absolutely. always, right? Like, so even, you know, he just always blows it out of the water. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm thinking bigger. <laughs> like, we're going to do this, you know? And it's yeah. so fun. Like, he's so creative and just... I guess, you know, just capable, right? Like, and so we tend to limit him where he has no limits. And so a story like that is so encouraging, I think, um, for people just sometimes we're worried about, you know, like $200 or something. And not that right. that's not a lot of money, but, and then um, I had a friend tell me the other day, she was worried she couldn't go to this thing because it was a $99 or something. And then just that day she got, somebody gave her $100 for a job. So, I mean, it's, he's always kind of showing himself, but I love that you said he had to do something big to get your attention. Cause I feel like sometimes he's knocking us over the head with a two by four, like, hello, I'm calling you. <laughs> Are you going to do this or yeah. not? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I had, I, I really was in a place personally that it made absolutely no sense. And, and, you know, the practical side of me could not could not square doing something so radical as giving up um, any, you know, financial income to start a nonprofit. And, um, but again, God has provided for me every step of the way and provided for the refuge. And ultimately that means he's providing for these precious children whom he has been 
watching over for a very long time, and he is um, he is mobilizing people to respond. And you know, so I I've been working on this now since 2003. First research, then working directly with victims, and um, and I have also worked with survivors in the United States, and now here with the refuge and. It has really only been in the last few years that I have seen this movement of people coming together and really deciding this this is not okay and yeah. we are going to do something about it. And all along, the vision from for me has been that it would be the church leading the way in that response because yeah. child sex trafficking is the culmination of of a lot of things that we've left undone in our communities. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's really a cesspool of evil. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, 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 it's so dark and it smells and looks and feels like sheer evil. And so there's only really one power that can, can, can pierce that type of evil and conquer that type of evil. And that is the power of a living God. Yes. through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it has to be the church. But I've also said all along that the refuge needs the church, but the church needs the refuge. Yeah. Um, because as believers, um, we we do need to, to rally against these things that are um, evil and, and destroying our communities and our families. Yes. And so it provides us an opportunity to do that as the body. I love that for sure. And I love that you call it the refuge. Did you have a certain, there, it mentions refuge a lot in the Bible. Did you have a certain scripture or something that you based that on? Or how did you come up with the name? Well, there's a couple of ways. Um, Psalm 91 has always been one of my very favorite psalms. And you know, it just talks about how he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Mm-hmm. Um, he is our rock and our refuge. And um, and really throughout the Psalms, you know, God talks about being our refuge. Yes. Um, so it's always been um, a, a, a term that has provided great comfort for me. And, um, but then interestingly, when I was living and working in Costa Rica, um, I was working in the slum that was where right across from the trash dump. Actually, the trash dump was right at, was at the heart of this neighborhood, and I worked in the one part of that neighborhood that was enclosed by a fence and had some grass. And we would bring the children there by day to get a warm meal and to help counsel them and and really just provide a safe place during the day but at night they always had to go back to their homes and back to the exploitive situations in which they were being bought and sold and but the the name of that center was El Refugio the refuge yeah and and so it it it, I think in some ways even unconsciously because it was so heartbreaking for me to not be able to really help the children that I worked with there. And yeah. it was so heartbreaking actually also to just leave. Yeah. And um, that perhaps in some ways I was carrying some of that work 
forward here to the United States. And while I couldn't help the children there, um, hopefully we can we can help the children here. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I have seen it's like a groundswell in Austin. I think there's so many people and so many um, just hearts breaking for this cause and people wanting to do something. Um, I don't know if you're feeling that as well, like here specifically, and I don't know what's going on in other cities, but I feel like there's just a lot of movement in this area and people are rising up. I do too. I really do sense that. And, and people that are um, stepping up financially and, and literally in ways that only are so creative and only God could do it. And, um, and you know, the beauty too is, I mean, we could have found someone that could have written a large check to get the refuge built much sooner. But um, I, you know, I, I think the process has been just as important as the outcome in, in my mind, because it has allowed us to build relationship with people who really want to, to, to do the hard work of, of, of surrounding these girls with love. And, you know, it's easy to sort of build a place and it's easy to um, fix something. It's not easy to um, faithfully and continuously love a child whose life has been shattered and who really might not recover for a very, very, very long time. There's no quick fix. And so right. by, by building the types of relationships that we've been able to build, um, it will, I believe, be that circle of love for the long haul that, that the girls that live at the refuge will need. Right. I mean, what I love is I'm seeing all the pieces, you know, so if they get out of the refuge, then there's people that ministries that are rising up that are like kind of the teaching them how to have skills and kind of the next step, right? And how to live on their own right. and how to be independent. And yeah, because it is, it's a long-term, it's long-term therapeutic care, but it's, it's forever. And, and hopefully right. in, in this, we, you know, if it's rooted in Christ and they're, they're hearing the word of God and they're around prayerful people and they're around prayer and, and, you know, transformation is not only possible, but it will happen. (laughs) And so, um, that's, that's the beautiful piece of it. You know, we're not just trying to fix it. You're just taking a whole person approach and, and, and offering Jesus, uh, the great healer. And I think it's, it's amazing. And I'm so, um, happy for you if that's the right word that it's break you know they broke ground and it's exciting and it's happening and I know you need lots of prayer and we're out of time but I would love to just I'm going to tell people you guys if you're listening and you have questions about the refuge I'm going to post it all on the blog when um, this airs so I'll have all of that information for you Um, but Brooke can we just pray before we hang up Um, I would love to just pray for you and the refuge, but I would also love for you to add in um, whatever you want to pray for as well. Is that okay? I can start us. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Oh, Father God, thank you. Uh, First of all, thank you for Brooke. Uh, Thank you for her. Yes. Thank you for her obedience to follow you, Lord. Thank you for her heart that seeks you and um, 
just that she's been steeped in your word and that she grew up knowing you, that she worked in ministry, Lord, none of that's a mistake, that you've been feeding her and pouring into her for such a time as this. And so we just thank you for her. We thank you for her courage. Um, we know that comes from you. And we're just so grateful that she's rooted in you and she um, really is making your name famous through this process, Lord. Um, all the glory goes to you because you are for sure the great healer. Um, Lord, we just ask for a blessing on the refuge. We ask for um, all the resources to come together that they need, Lord, and we know you can do that and you will. And so we trust you um, with all the money that they need and, and just workers and, and house moms, or I'm not even sure exactly what we're praying for, Lord, but um, just that it's in your hands and we lift it up to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Father, I thank you for Sue. I thank you for her heart to come alongside the refuge and um, her preparation and training to serve the girls um, once they're at the refuge. And Lord, we pray now for those children that are being trafficked as we speak, um, those children that feel forgotten, those children who um, feel that there is no hope for a future. Lord, we ask that um, you would be near to them as we know you are near the brokenhearted yeah. and um, that you would uh, preserve their life, Lord, and bring into their life a glimmer of hope, whether that's um, a person, whether that's some type of sign for them to know that you are near. Yes. And Lord, I do pray that you would raise up an army of your people to respond to this evil. And Father, I pray that you would equip your people to uh, pour out your love. Um, and we thank you, Father, for your love that is our motivator and the reason for which we, we say yes to you every day. Yes. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Oh my gosh, sorry about the phone call in the middle of that, but it was it was the Lord. He was he was listening. <laughs> um, yeah. No worries. <laughs> yeah, so much to pray for. And just the people that are listening, um, just keep praying, praying with us and praying for the uh victims for sure and the survivors. Um yeah. just yeah. it is a mm -hmm. it's forever thing. And um and and the thing is we all um need the saving grace of Jesus Christ, right? So Right. We just want to share that with them. And so every day, um, just praying with them and for them and just for all of us, yeah, that we would just continue to share grace and light. And um, But I so appreciate what you're doing, and I love that you've shared it with us. I thank you so much. Um, if people want to get in touch with The Refuge, um, your website is what? Their website is therefugeaustin.org. And um, you are, there are many ways if you go to our website um, to find out how to get involved and get more information. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you and what you're doing. And God bless you guys. Thank you, Sue. I appreciate you too. And it was great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Awesome. Sure. All right. Bye-bye.